0: What's up, everybody? My name is Tyler Dunn with Dunn Deal Investments LLC, where the deal is already done, and we're on episode 93 of Goals and Updates. Uh, we're coming in, <clears throat> we're coming in hot for that 100th episode, which uh, it's probably going to take a couple weeks because uh, now I'm only doing two episodes a week. Uh, last time I was doing four because I was trying to make it up for the last week, and it, it's, gonna, it's been a it's been a really crazy ride trying to get up to 100 episodes. Uh, The the coolest part is going back and now that I, you know, have a SoundCloud account, I can see like my older episodes and listen to them in the car as I'm driving. And it is, it is pretty cool that my speaking has, I can see my speaking has been a lot better. I really think it's, well, it's because of two reasons, I think. I I think it's really because I'm doing public speaking in front of an audience, like a real, real physical people. Like even though I'm doing these live streams and I get a couple uh, live people or viewers that come in, when I do public speaking at Toastmasters, it's in front of real people, like 15, 20 people, and it, it's all I can't take back what I say. I can't, I can't go backwards, right? I gotta go only can go forward. <clears throat> and speaking there, they time you, they put you, they do like grammar, they do sentence structure, they do different things. They'll ring a bell if you say ums or ahs. So it it does make your speaking a lot better and you're more aware of how you're talking, how you're presenting information. I got, you get tips from some of the best speakers that have been doing public speaking for a very, very long time. Uh, there's some people in that club that have been doing it, I think, for like, tw- uh, one guy that, that that's in our club has been doing it for, I think he said he joined Toastmasters back in 1950, so like 1950s. So he's been in Toastmasters for a very, very long time. So we have some very, very skilled people that are in Toastmasters, at my club at least, which it's, it's the club called the Great Fort Lauderdale Toastmasters. So if you're interested in joining Toastmasters, uh, Sterling said 1970s. Yeah, I guess 50s wouldn't work, right? But uh, yeah, so Sterling said 1970s, but still, it's a very, very long time. It's way before I was born, right? I was born in 95, 1995, so 1970s, like I was well not even in the world yet. So it just goes to show you the kind of age, age that we have, different age groups uh, within Toastmasters at my club at least. Uh, some of them are probably in their, you know, that, that person must be in his late 70s. But we have some people that are in their 50s, you know, and then it ranges like 40s, 30s. I think I'm the youngest one that actually goes to that. I'm going to be – oh, actually, I'm not the youngest one. There's another girl that does it. We're about the same age. So I think we're both around the same the same age. So me and her are like the, the youngest that are that actually go to Toastmasters. But if you're interested, hit me up, personal – uh, you know, personal social media hit me up in the comments here. I'll reach out to you and it's, it's really good. I'm telling you a lot of people do not work on their public speaking skills and it's like the most crucial element to life. Why? Because if you want to do anything, you have to learn how to, to sell yourself. Basically, you have to be able to go to a job interview. You know, a job's the most important thing you'll ever have to do in your whole entire life. Uh, cause you, le- you're living in an economic planet. Or an economical planet, and you have to make money. The only way you can make money is by going and getting a job and selling yourself to that job, right, or that owner of that, of that company or, or that interview because most of the companies are probably going to go for, corporate companies, probably not going to meet the owner at the interview. You're probably going to meet someone that's like HR or someone in between the ranks. So you got to be able to sell yourself to them plus the owner plus, you know, different elements, right? If you want to go in and find a girl, or a guy, you have to be able to present yourself to that person, right? Uh, and that's public speaking still, even if you're doing it through text message. Eventually, you're going to have to meet up with that person, right? So you got to be able to present yourself well and speak. Uh, if you're trying to meet, you know, if you're trying to go into sales or you're trying to start your own business, you have to learn how to speak well and present yourself. Uh, if you're going and, and you're trying to meet Your girlfriend's parents, your boyfriend's parents, you have to be able to present yourself well or they're not going to like you. It's the first impression, right? So you have to be able to sell yourself and present yourself and speak. Um, Look at any of the great people like presidents, right? Presidents are a good one because they have to go in front of a large, you know, a large audience and present themselves through public speaking and they have to say like, all right, I'm going to promise to do this for you guys. I'm going to do this X, Y, and Z. Uh, Look at celebrities, right? Even, even if they're not in the movie industry and they're just celebrities in general, they have to still present themselves. In order to make a lot of money, you have to be able to, to go in front of people and actually persuade people and talk in front of a large audience. That's how all these people become small and become massive celebrities. They speak in front of massive amounts of people and they get their attent- or attention by speaking in public. So public speaking is one of the, the most crucial skills that no one ever talks about. You won't learn it in college. Uh, you won't learn it at a job. A job won't really teach you that. They'll just say, "Hey, we want you to present this. Do the best you can." And they don't really give you uh, tips. They don't work on your public speaking. Uh, but this is a great skill you'll you'll use throughout your whole entire life. Doesn't matter your age. Doesn't matter you know skills that you have. Uh, it like at this club, it doesn't matter your skill level. You could be the worst speaker. You could be the most nervous speaker. We will still help you in Toastmasters. So if you're interested, reach out to me. Uh, right now, I'm running their PR, which is public relations. That's why I'm kind of promoting it a lot, as I want to. I really do want to drive a lot more uh, members into that club. And I and I might as well. I mean, I talk about Toastmasters a lot on this podcast, the goals and updates, because it's kind of it's it's what I preach to you guys when I update you guys. I'm like, hey, I'm going to Toastmasters uh, Tuesday, and I'm doing this speech. Right, I went into this, and this happened. Right. So I talk about Toastmasters a lot. I might as well promote them and and help other people because most people don't want to do public speaking and it's a shame because it's really not that bad right it's it, the thing is you're overthinking it half the time like I used to overthink a lot on that I used to hate talking to people and then I got over I got over that fear once I started talking to people and realized everyone is kind of programmed the same in the sense that everyone's kind of human and once you learn you know how people are thinking how people are reacting to certain elements it's not that bad and also once you start forming confidence where you're like okay if this person doesn't like me this person doesn't like me uh, i i can't i can't make everyone in the whole entire world like me you know it's just going to it's just a fact like no one you know not every single person in the whole entire world is going to like you even if you're the most nicest person in the world they're going to find something to something that's wrong with you and they're going to they're going to hate it right so once you get over that that fear of like cuz most of the time i think it's rejection that people are scared of i don't really think it's the fact that they don't believe enough in themselves. Uh, I think it's a little bit more of they're just scared of rejection. They're just scared they're going to go up there, they're going to say something, and everyone's not going to agree with it, and they're and they're going to get a lot of like hatred or feedback from it. And we do like we do critique speeches, like we have evaluations and everything. But it's not what you think. It's not like someone's going, "Hey, you're doing all this wrong. You should be doing this." It's very like, it, it's kind of the one guy compared it to almost like a uh, a safe a safe uh, zone or whatever, because it's not, no one's attacking you. They just go up there and they evaluate your speech and they go, I really like how you did this. And I really like how you did that. But maybe next time, maybe try to do this. And it's just very helpful um, suggestions that they, tr- that the person noticed that you were doing, maybe you're like fumbling with your hands a lot because you were nervous and they just, and they just told you like, Hey, maybe next time try to hold your hands in a certain position. So your hands don't come up here and you fumble with them. Cause I did notice you were fumbling with them a little bit. And it kind of distracted the audience a little bit, right? So it's just helpful uh, gestures to get your speech better. And I really honestly think because of Toastmasters, it's why I'm getting better and better and better. And I, like, I've noticed I haven't said um a lot, right? My, my speeches are becoming more structured, more um, I'm thinking faster on my feet. And the, I think the reason I'm thinking more faster on my feet too is they do a, uh, a thing where it's called table topics. They give you a topic And you have a minute and a half to two and a half minutes to quickly come up with some content, quick on your feet. They don't give you any preparation. You just go up there and you try to talk about that topic. And I think that's honestly what has helped me a lot because it's got me it got me to a place where I can think fast on my feet without saying ums, ahs, oh, you know, right. So that's kind of that's what I think has been helping my speech a lot. Not, not to mention the fact that I'm on episode 93 of Goals and Updates, so I'm constantly producing content and constantly coming on here and talking. So that's also giving me more experience and I'm tuning things up. I'm kind of noticing, all right, I want to go in this direction with certain content and my structure is getting cleaner. So those are just some things I've noticed. But to update you guys, so for anyone that's new to Goals and Updates, the reason I created Goals and Updates was I noticed that a lot of people our minds are, are programmed naturally to go and gravitate more negative, right? Besides to positive or positivity, negativity to positivity. So I created goals and updates because I noticed that, you know, whenever I wanted to do something, someone would say, oh, watch out for that. Or don't do that because of this. Like, oh, you shouldn't do that because of that, right? And I noticed that by nature, people are very scared. And because they were scared, they were trying to push that fear on me or other people without them knowing because they, they they don't know that they're thinking negatively or they're thinking in a in a negative way. So I I decided to create goals and updates so that way I could change the mindset of most individuals because I had a really bad experience where I went in like to like I I'm pretty sure I was never you know I never went to a doctor and got diagnosed but. I'm pretty sure it was like chronal. Uh, I think they call it chronological like depression where you're constantly like going, I think they say chronological because it's almost like if you're on top of a hill, you're constantly falling and falling and falling and just tumbling down the hill. And that's kind of what was happening to me and I, and I couldn't figure out why. And I realized that it was my mental state or state of thinking and how I was thinking about things and, and my mind, my mental state was not good. So I had to figure out a way to fix that. And I came across, you know, watching a lot of motivational videos, I came across some different people that have gone through massive uh, chronological like depression, and they gave different elements or steps on how to get out. So what I started realizing was, uh, once I started getting myself in order, then I realized that it was, um, it, it was really me. And that's why I tell a lot of people, and they're like, oh, it's, I got depression, and it's not my fault, it's because I'm depressed. And it's like, to me, it's like, it is your fault. You just have to figure out how to get yourself out of the depression. Like that, that's the key. And most doctors won't tell you that. They'll just give you drugs, which is a a conversation for another time. But so that's why I created goals and updates. I wanted to change that negative uh, mindset that most people have and give them more of a positive mindset and how uh, they could look at the world in a different way and be more happier with themselves. Because once I changed the way I was thinking about everything and I went into a more positive direction nothing was going to stop me. Like there's nothing that you could say that's going to stop me, throw me off course or get me depressed or or mad or angry because I I realized that the only thing that really matters is that uh, what I kind of want in a sense, like out of my life and at a sense where I could take that negativity and throw it and make it more of like a drive, like more ambition, right? And take that negativity and form it into more positive energy and make it more of like a ambition type of uh, energy where it'll it'll actually push me instead of like throw me backwards and make me step back more or take a couple steps back is what the the proper phrase I kind of wanted to say. But um, on that note, that's why I created goals and updates. Now how we do this show is I go into updates. I update you guys on my life and that's where the the goals and updates portion kind of really plays in. That's why I named it goals and updates is I'm updating you guys to show you that I'm doing the same stuff I preach on here and try to implement it in my own life as well as trying to help you guys and implement it in your own life. And it just, it's a way for me to kind of, um, kind of go down the line of, okay, I'm trying to do this. It also like helps me focus more because then I'm like, okay, I I, I said, I want to do this. And I think about it more. Once you talk about it, once you start talking about things, you'll tend to see the answers in front of you. It's the craziest thing. I went over, uh, you know, I was talking to my friend about saving and, and uh, depreciation and uh, inflation and all that stuff. And he was like, oh, that's a crazy concept, right? And then two minutes later, he was watching some videos. I called him, FaceTimed him. He's watching a video. And the one guy that he was watching was talking about the same exact thing I told him like 15, 20 minutes ago. And, it's because, and, I, told, and I was like, hey, and he didn't even notice it, by the way. He was just like listening to the guy. He's like, oh, this guy's brilliant. And I'm like, Hey, did you notice, I'm like, did you notice that he's talking about the same thing I just talked to you about 20 minutes ago? And he's like, Oh man, you're right. It's like, I didn't even notice that. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's because we were talking about it. And I, and I did an episode. I don't remember which episode it was because there's so many episodes now out there, but I did do an episode where I was talking about this, where uh, the more you talk about what you want out of life, the more the answers and different things start presenting themselves to you. Um, And I think it's just because you're starting to figure out your purpose, you're starting to question things, and you're starting to see it clearer. Because those elements are probably always there, but because you weren't thinking about it, because it wasn't on your mind, you weren't paying attention, you were just oblivious to the answers and ideas that were floating around you. Until someone says something or talks about it, you tend to look for it because now your mind's processed and focused on that idea or that statement that you just said. And that's why I kind of do the updates in the beginning. It's for myself personally, but it's also to update you guys to let you know who I am, what I'm trying to do. And at the same time that, you know, I'm not just someone that's just preaching this stuff and not following through with it. I'm actually trying to implement it in my life and and just show you that. So we go from updates and then I go through two topics, uh, which the two topics today are going to be, is perfection achievable? And problems come and go. And then we go into my business, done deal investments, and then we wrap it up. So We'll start with the updates real quick. So to update you guys, I am—I think I downloaded up to seven episodes right now. Uh, the seven episodes are not... I don't have all seven epi- episodes on SoundCloud. Uh, tomorrow I'm off. I'm off from my main full-time job. So what I'm going to try to do is wake up decently early. And my goal is every single week to download 10 episodes. Get all 10 episodes up on SoundCloud within that week. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then... Try to go. Try to figure out a fast process to to splice the videos really quick. Which I don't think it'll take me that long because I have professional editing uh, software. I use Adobe Premiere Pro for anyone uh, who's an editor or knows the the software. So I get I get all that stuff because um, technically I get like a student rate on it. So I just pay for that and I do the cloud. So I get all the different different um, software within that company. But I'm just gonna figure out a, a simple way to to splice it really quick, throw it up on YouTube. Uploading it to YouTube's the easy part, it's the splicing that's probably gonna take a couple minutes because you gotta go through the audio and the footage. So then once I do that, you know, update each one and like I said, I'm gonna try to do 10 episodes a week. I'm gonna try to commit to that and then eventually I'll catch up and once I catch up, I'll just do them, like after I'm done filming this episode, I would actually download the video and then try to splice it for that day and just commit, I think, the day to basically trying to get those episodes up each time. So. Once I get caught up, it's gonna be easy. Right now, it's like the catch-up game, which is really hard because I'm only on, you know, I'm I don't even have ten episodes up yet. So, and we have nine, we're on ninety-three episodes right now. So, it's easily over five hundred hours of footage I got to go through. But that's updating you on that. Uh, the other cool thing that that happened today is every single week or every single couple of days, my um, my actual manager at my position right now, this warranty company, will send out an email, and it'll be like. All right, Thursday, you made this, you know, this is your inheritance, and this is your productivity report. So for the last two days, I believe, I think it was like Friday and Thursday, I hit 140% productivity, and I think, or that was Thursday, and then I think Friday, I got 150%. So that's pretty incredible. I've never, ever hit that extreme of a level. I think it's always, I think the the highest I've ever gotten before this was like 118 um, so that, that's kind of it's impressive for me because now the key is to keep on trying to keep that momentum and clear out as many emails as I can. Uh, luckily, I've been getting some basic, uh, you know, some basic emails. that hasn't been like extremely difficult. But my goal was to try to push as hard as I possibly could, get high productivity levels. So when I have like slow days, it doesn't really it doesn't really affect it too much, and I can still make the one twenty percent. So that's my goal or that's one of the ideas I've had that I'm trying out right now is push as hard as I possibly can when I first get there, keep pushing, and just every single day push as hard as I possibly can to get at least 120 or higher, and then hopefully it balances out throughout the week if I have a slow day, because there was one day on there I had like 90, I think it was like 95 or 90, yeah, I was thinking it was like 93 or 95% on one of the days, and it was probably just a day where either I, I wasn't 100% Uh, focused or it was also like I got really challenging emails where I couldn't, I couldn't get through them fast enough and I wasn't making the number that day. So that's the whole purpose of trying to get those high numbers at first that balance out the other, other days. But my goal right now is I really want to hit, um, I want to get for the month, 120%. And the reason for that is if I get 120%, they'll give me a bonus every single month. So I'll get 150 extra on my paycheck every month. So, and if I do inherit in a perfect no, I think it's 95 or above on inheritance, I'll get another 150, which I always meet those numbers. The I always get 150 extra a month because I hit that one. That one's easy for me. But I can never get the productivity because I haven't I haven't been able to figure out a strategy to keep getting the 120 every single month because uh, it's really difficult because sometimes you have ones you have, you got to call them, you got to do you know you got to do X, y, and Z. They're longer. Uh, there are longer email response times to do. So it's a little bit of a challenge, but I think I kind of figured out how to do it a little bit. So once I get that, I'll update you guys on that. But my goal is to try to get $300 extra every single month added onto my income. And that'll, you know, that's a, that's a way I can increase my income. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to give myself some, uh, some actual career goals. I'm trying to give myself some work goals that I'm living by. Because mo- I think most of the time people go to this job and they just go there and they expect to work the eight hours and just go home. And I think that's why a lot of people don't make the extra amount of money. They don't do the bonuses. They don't uh, hit their numbers. They don't do certain things because they're just focused on getting through the day and going home and collecting a paycheck at the end of the day. Um, I'm there to kind of, you know, kind of do the same, but I have more of a mission that I'm trying to get done there where I'm trying to hit every single extra step I can do. You know, I have a mission to help the customer, help the company um, and do, you know, go above and beyond than the average coworker that's there. And that's, you know, most people there are average. So if I can outdo everyone that's working there and keep true to my mission of working at that, that company. I'll outwork everyone, and that's the goal. I want to outwork every single person that's there. So if my manager says do this, I don't. I don't really hesitate. I just do it. Right? I don't tell her no. I question it because I want to make sure why she's telling me to do that, so I know for next time. Uh, which I had. Uh, I had an incident this morning where I did some. I transferred it to a box, and she got all bent out of shape because it threw her. Um, it threw her. It's called like or, uh, I think it's called like ordinance, or it's like time frame. So each different email. Or a different uh, aux cord, which you log into, or aux, I should say. It's not a cord, but aux. It kind of throws, like, they have different times you have to respond to the person before it gets out of inheritance. And then it affects her box or it affects her numbers, basically. So I did something where I went to the wrong box, but I was trained on a different aux to do it. But no one ever told me that when you're doing it in the aux that I was in, you're supposed to handle it and not push it to a different box. But since I was doing, um, you know, I'm trying to hit those numbers and I came across and I'm like, oh, this person just sent it to the wrong box. I just have to send it here. Uh, Not knowing that, you know, those, they have a quicker response time or whatever. So she got all bent out of shape. I tried to work it out, but um, it's, I'm going to bring that up probably a little bit more in the the second topic because it's going to be like problems come and go, which is basically what that, that basically goes into, right? So I'll talk a little bit about that more when we hit that topic. Um, what else do I want to update you guys on? So, so increasing income. So that's what I, that's what I basically talked to you about where I was, I was trying to always, you know, I'm constantly trying to increase the amount of money I'm taking every single month. So that I think the next big challenge for that part, for the increasing income is definitely working on the done deal investments business and trying to get, set myself a goal of how much income I want to, you know, try to hit on that a month, um, or annually, uh, I should probably do both. How much money I want to hit as a as a as a massive goal should be annually, and then short term should be monthly, and be like, all right, I want to make you know, I gotta make a amount, you know, let's say I wanted to make a hundred thousand dollars a year on this business, then I'd break it down into twelve months and be like, all right, every single month, this is my short term goal where I gotta hit um what's a hundred thousand divided by twelve would be in. I can tell you in one sec. I'm actually gonna look it up for you, just so I have an idea of this. Just give me one sec. I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna grab the calculator. Let's see. So 100,000, 100,000 divided by 12. It's gonna be roughly 8,330 like thirty four dollars a month roughly so i mean i'd probably round it up and be like you know eighty four hundred dollars a month which actually is not it's really not too bad eighty four uh eighty four hundred a month um but that would be the goal eighty four hundred a month right to hit that business now and then you just increase that every single you know every single year i'd probably change that and be like all right now i want to hit and i you know now i hit a hundred thousand now i want to go to two hundred thousand or five hundred thousand or you know, I probably wouldn't do a hundred thousand increments. I'd probably try to go bigger and try to go like, all right, I hit a hundred thousand. I proved myself. Now I'm going to go to 250, you know, $250,000 a year annually in that business. So that's what, that's what you kind of have to try to do is break it down into short-term and long-term goals. And that's what I started realizing. That's how like, you know, I go to work and I have purpose and I'm like, I'm, I'm out working people and I'm, I'm pushing hard and I try to be a little bit hard on myself. But so that's, uh, you know those are some of the goals that I'd have to sit down with myself with this business and start jotting down. I actually probably will do that tonight or tomorrow um, now that we're talking about it. But so that's increasing income. Fourth of July is Thursday, so if anyone's doing anything you know pretty you know going to a party or something, uh, you could put a comment in here and, and let me know what you're doing with the Fourth of July. Uh, I have to, I don't have to work on Thursday. They, they give me a paid vacation since I'm working full- time, which is nice. as if I was working out my part-time marketing job. I'd be getting screwed on that holiday because they, no one would show up because they're all getting paid because they're full-time employees. So everyone would get paid on that as a paid holiday. And I would basically get shorted out money on that day and would have to try to make up hours within one of the other days, which is what I did normally. I'd I'd work like, instead of working eight hours, I came in early and worked like, or I split it and instead of working eight hours this day, I worked 10 hours, 10 hours, 10 hours or whatever, right? And made up the hours within within the week. I planned it ahead of time or I just worked on one day a little bit longer than the other. So uh, I don't have to do that now, which is nice, right? I'm actually buying back more time because they're paying me for that holiday. So now I can use that extra time and, and actually probably work on done investments and do like social media posts and, and work on like blogs or whatever, right? So I can work on my business and gain more time back by getting paid on that that, that time that I should have been working, which they're paying me for, right? So that's pretty interesting. Um, I think we hit everything on the update. So what we're going to do is we're going to go into topics, right? So the first topic is, is perfection achievable? Now I came up with this topic when I, I was just sitting with myself one day and someone was talking about how uh, we always aim to hit perfection. Like that's always been the goal of everyone is like, that's why a lot of people get frustrated when they don't succeed at certain things is they're trying to hit that, that uh, perfect goal or they're trying to hit uh, being perfect at it. And then they get frustrated when, um, their boss comes back and goes, Hey, you messed up on this. And they get frustrated and they're like, well, you know, that wasn't my intentions. I wasn't trying to fail. I was trying to do this. Right. And so you kind of take it, you kind of take it offensive offensively where you're, where you're like, damn, like I, I tried so hard. You kind of take it out on yourself. I've done it a lots of times. I've done it a lot of times where I'm like, my boss will come back and be like, hey, you messed up on this and you just delete this person because you did this. And I'm like, and I used to get really mad at myself and now I'm like, all right, like what did I do wrong? How do I fix it for next time? And she'll tell me and I'll, I'll, I'll do like a mental note or I'll write it down or, um, the one-on-ones are great cause she'll, she'll tell me something or I'll write it down and be like, all right, don't do this next time. Like next time I open up this exception or do this and I'll write it down. And then she'll we'll do the next meeting and she'll be like, all right, like I don't see like you're doing this anymore. And I'm like, all right, perfect. All right, I fixed it. Or she'll be like, Hey, there's no complaints that came back. Like there's no feedback for you because nothing came back that you did wrong. And I'm like, perfect. Right? So and you have to understand, like, you want people to critique what you're doing. Like, I, I like I don't get enough critique um people critiquing goals and updates because every single time I ask someone, they're like, Oh, like I'm like, hey how was the, how was that episode? Like, do you have any feedback? Like, what would you like to see more of? Oh, it was good. And that's all they say. Oh, it was good. And I'm like, okay, but how can I fix it? Like, is there anything I can change on it? What didn't you like about it? And I think people are scared to tell you what they don't like about it because they feel like it's going to cause conflict. But I like getting feedback. I don't get mad when people tell me stuff. Uh, I, I get mad at this job that I'm at when I feel like I did the right thing. Like I was taught to do it and then I go and do it and then I get yelled at for doing what I was told to do. That's where it gets, that's where I get frustrated because the environment that I'm in at that, at that place is very like everything. There's always a policy that needs to be fulfilled. There's always this that needs to be filled. Then they change things every single day. And so you, you're, you you're trying to follow procedures and policies, but they're constantly changing things. They're updating this They're updating that. So The environment that I could basically tell you is they're too politically correct. Now, you know, some people might hate me for saying that, but that's what it comes down to. And that's why a lot of, a lot of these companies get screwed out of money. I I really, truly believe, Uh, because this company that I work for is trying to be so correct and so fundamental in what they're doing. And so, uh, like I said, politically correct that I really think they're losing a lot of money in the end because... Uh, customers are suffering from it because all the policies they're putting in. The policies are delaying people getting paid. The policies are delaying. Um, like it's creating more time than uh, it's creating more time, so more delays happening, and that's what's happening. And I really think they're losing a lot of money now. You know, they're 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 saying they're not, but you know, I, and I don't run the numbers, so I can't tell you they are. But it just feels like it half the time because. I deal with a lot of complaints where they're like, "This took way too long," uh, and then our responses. They, and the funny thing is, they changed the responses now. Now this, like, we used to do, um, and this is all coming back to perfection. So if you think I'm actually kind of going off topic, it's it, it all leads back to perfection. Like, this company is trying to be so perfect of a company that it's actually messing up in so many dramatic ways, uh, and I'm going to tell you a couple things that they're doing that I think it's because they're trying to hit perfection and. It's an unachievable. It, it really is an unachievable goal because no one's perfect, right? A company can't be perfect. A uh, individual can't be perfect. Um, and I think everyone wants everything to be perfect. And, and I, I truly believe that you know perfection is impossible. I'm not saying you shouldn't strive to be perfect in um, different things that you do, different skills, different traits and habits, and uh, you know you shouldn't and you should expect you know high quantities of perfection but you also have to understand that it's it's almost impossible to hit perfection and the reason it's impossible is because whenever you hit that that skill or that achievement that you think is perfect it changes the target always changes once you hit that target the the then you have to hit another target So you can't stay in that same target you have to move the target and go for something else so that's why perfection really isn't achievable because you're aiming for more, but once you hit more, then the target moves. Or you have to then adapt to that and then try to go further and improve yourself even further on that. So there's always potential, right? There's always opportunity. There's always more you can go for. And that's why perfection is kind of almost impossible because you can't, you can't land on something and stay on it forever. You have to eventually adapt and move on to something new. And this company, I think, tries to go too perfect where which they i noticed what they changed the verbiage they're always changing the verbiage right it's one thing that my manager always does oh we got to change his verb oh let me see the verbiage on that like this like there was the procedure because i was questioning him on the thing that happened um she was like hey like my the, the person next to me my coworker that was next to me was like hey i'll send you the verbiage for that or whatever or the what you're supposed to say to that. And I go, okay. And then as soon, as soon as she said that, my manager was like, Oh, let me see the verbiage before you even do anything. Cause I want to see what it says. Look to the verbiage. And she goes, Oh yeah, I got to change that. Like, hang on. Like, let me change that. And I'll resend it to you. All right. So she's trying to, she's trying to put it so perfectly structured where, you know, it, it's then the customer will read it. I have this happening all the time. The customer reads it and they don't understand what's going on. So they just, Resend the same invoice they resend the same thing and it's not what we asked for It's not what we need and it's because the verbiage is they're trying to get the verbiage. So perfect that the the person on the other end is not a perfect individual the perfect on the other end is Probably not financial savvy or they wouldn't really need the services right because the whole purpose of a warranty company is uh, is the person probably doesn't have a lot of money and is scared that things are going to break in their homes. They're using the warranty company to cut the cost in half almost as a safety blanket as they're probably not financially savvy or they're not financially uh, independent and they're scared that something's going to break and they're going to have to spend more money than needed. Right? So they're dealing with probably the, the problem is they're not really, they don't understand the customer. So that's that goes back to the point where they're not understanding the customer or their customer base. And that's just a lack of uh, you know like branding and understanding and stuff like that. So it's something that you know would have to be changed higher up. But that's what I think is happening. They're trying to go so perfect in the verbiage that they're sending out via email um, and stuff like that, where it causes delays. The biggest one I can tell you is the is the recording stuff. Now I know I th- that's something that I don't think they can change. I don't know. I think that's like a legal issue where you know uh, if someone says hey they never told me they were recording. I think that's just to cover their butts. So I don't think they can change that, but that's one that I I noticed, which was like a delay where um, it hasn't, hasn't been too much of a problem because of the way I word it and the way I I throw it into a sentence. And like, I kind of got, you know, I kind of got my footing of where I could place that. But the biggest thing is like, if I call someone, let's say you're the customer and I have to call you and I go, Hey, Hey, uh, Hey, uh, uh, how are you? This is Tyler from cross country home services. And they go, Hey, I'm doing well. And then I go, you know, I do have to let you know this call may be recorded for quality assurance and training purposes. And then I go into what I then I, what I'm going to say. Right? Hey, I'm calling you to let you know that your claim got denied or whatever. Right? So the the purpose of it is, I think they're trying to do it to cover their butts. But at the same time, it's it, it's like a delay, right? Uh, especially when you're calling service providers and they're on the job and they're trying to they're trying to get through something. It's almost like it delays it out. That's the, that's the problem that I've noticed. Not too much on the customer side on that, but it's more of the service provider. Uh, And I think that's part of the the problem with like the perfection part of it is like I think this company is trying to get so perfect in the verbiage they're using and and phrases and different things that they're actually losing money on the back end of it. It's it's causing problems between the customer. Uh, It's causing problems between uh, the employees too. The employees, it's causing a big distress within the employees because they're constantly changing the verbiage, right? And I'm not saying they can't change things, but uh, once you try to You know, you're trying to go on the policies and the stuff that they're doing, and then they constantly change it. Uh, and then you and then they get mad when you when you actually use the old stuff, which is the fun I always find it funny because my like the the biggest thing they changed in my company was uh they went in, let's say I'm I'm reimbursing you because you're getting owner co. And before it was four weeks. We had to tell them four weeks, you have to wait four weeks before we can actually reimburse you. It's gotta go through a certain department and everything. They changed it to seven to ten days. So what was happening was they didn't inform people. So we were still using the four weeks, and my uh, my manager sent out an email like, "Hey, don't use the four weeks anymore. Uh, make sure you're using the seven to ten, the seven to ten business days." And they're like, "Because people are getting yelled at for using the four weeks." But it, it's one of those things where it's a communication issue. Like they're changing things so fast that they're not informing the people. It's the people are, you know, the employees that work there are still using the the old verbiage. Um, but I mean, they kind of and. On that note, they did have to kind of change that because I don't know how long it, it normally takes them to process that. By the way, you know, like the the direct payments and stuff like that. But four weeks is very, extremely long. It's a whole month. And then what would happen is you'd send that, and then they still wouldn't get paid within the four weeks. So uh, the customers would get pissed. They're like, "Hey, like I did all this stuff. I went through all the process. Now you're telling me to wait four weeks, and now I've waited four weeks, and now I still haven't gotten anything. And like this is crazy." Like. I you know I put this money on a credit card most of them don't have the you know 2 grand 3 grands they're putting on the credit card and then they're getting probably charged interest they're actually getting screwed on the back end because they're they're forcing you know they're getting forced to put it on the credit card and now they're paying more money on the back end because of interest and uh different elements the company's not you know probably not even thinking about the company's probably not even thinking about that part right so goes back to a lack of understanding of the customer and what the customer has to go through so that's something that the company would have to figure out but uh, that's the, you know that's the perfection part of it. They're trying to be so perfect that they're constantly changing things. The other thing I could tell you too is uh, are you know they keep on expanding the amount of people that work there but they're, they haven't really um, at the they have this lunch room and the lunch room is the size of like a dorm at a college dorm right College dorm sized room. And they have like, at first they had like three microwave ovens. They had one toaster oven and they have like two sinks. But the problem that was happening was like, they didn't have enough room in there to fit all these people that were taking lunch around 12 to 1 PM. And there's just adding more people onto the staff. So the team's growing, but the room is staying the same size. So everyone's on top of each other you're waiting like long periods of time to get your food in. and keep in mind, you only have 30 minutes to eat your lunch to go make it, you know, fix it up and then eat it. So, um, and then you're on top of everyone and you can't, you can't find any place to sit in there. So what they did is they extended the the wall, right? There's a wall that was like kind of dividing the room and they tried to extend it, but they extended it maybe like a quarter of an inch in. So it, it didn't really from that point, it didn't really look like they did much. Now, someone said they're trying to do something else with it. They're not really 100% done with it. They're still working on it. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But uh, the thing, you know, and a lot of people leave that job. I'm sure they have a lot of uh, a high turnover rate just because P- the stress levels there and stuff. Um, and, and they don't, they, it almost looks like they really don't uh, appreciate that department that's there. They have two different facilities. They have one in Boca and they have one in Sunrise. The one in Sunrise normally tends to get the back end of things, and the one in Boca normally gets the high end, high end stuff. Now my theory is two things, I have two theories on this. Uh, the first theory is the physical CEO works at the, the Boca center, so the CEO wants all the perks. That's the first thing, right? Uh, you know, he, he probably feels that, that he's kind of entitled, which, you know, it's his, it's his company. So, you know, he does what he wants. You know, I can't tell him what not, you know, what to do that is. So he is technically entitled to, to put where, you know, put people where he wants them, make his company the way he wants it, uh, his buildings and everything the way he wants it. So, you know, that's, that's, that's him, right. He does have the entitled, um, the entitled role, role or the right, the right away basically to do that. But That's my theory on that. Is that's a big theory where uh, he wants all the perks over at that location because that's where he's at, right? So the and it was funny too because we had a town hall meeting, and at at the at the 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 building that I'm at, and everyone was pissed because he's like, hey, like you know, you guys get mad right at this center because you guys have to dress out. But guess what? Uh, The other the other place doesn't have all these perks that we have. Like we have this uh, food court, we have massage centers over here. We have uh, a fresh market that comes in, we, you know, and he's listing all these benefits that they get because of the, the location and the facility that they're at. And everyone in, in my place is like, wow, that's so unfair. Like they don't do anything over here. We're stuck to eat crappy food in the refrigerator. And it, it's kind of like cheap food. It's like, it's, just, it's like some company that just makes sandwiches and charges like $4 for the sandwich. And there's really not a lot of variety in there. It's like small little refrigerators. So, and they're getting like professional chefs over at the other place and they're eating good. And the other theory I have too is he, he considers that, uh, that the people that, or the departments that are in that facility way more important than the, than the departments and facilities at the other facility, right? Or the people at the other facilities, meaning like most of the the departments that are the other facility is marketing. Uh, it's probably more sales driven over there. Well, probably not because our center is more of a call center, but uh, they, they, they got marketing, they got uh, the finance department over there, they got accounts, you know, the accounts payable and stuff over there. They have all the departments that manage the money. They have all the departments over there that manage the marketing and the branding. They, and, and, you know, you need that to sell. And you, in, and they're probably making the company more money than the call center itself, which I would differ because if they have a sales department and it's at that call center. That's 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 their key element is the sales department, right? Is income? That's what's generating the income. Is the person making the phone call and going, "Hey, like I see, like you know, membership basically is a big, big resource for them because they're calling up members and they're going, "Hey, uh, I, you know, your membership's about to expire. Your contract's about to expire. You know, would you want to renew this?" So they're making, you know, they're making more, um, they're making sales basically at the end. They're, ma- they're driving that company to make more money in the end, more revenue, right? So, um, so that's my theory on that too, is that's like the second theory. But the first one's probably because he's over there and he probably wants all the perks. And he, f- and he figures if he's over there and people are happy, they're not going to complain to him, right? Because his office is there. So if his office is there and everyone's satisfied, they're not going to keep coming into his office and be like, Hey, like, why the heck don't we have this? Why the heck is this going on? Right. So he's trying to keep the peace at that facility. Uh, so that's, that's, that's one of my big theories on that. But anyways, but that's the problem I think is so many people are trying to, to aim and, and be perfect. But the reality is like perfection is, it's not, I, I mean, I kind of want to say it's a myth. It's almost like you can't hit perfection because no one's perfect. Right. And if you're very religious, religion kind of plays a big element into this, where religion actually states that, like, you know, um, for instance, Christianity is all about sinning, right? In the sense that you're going to sin regardless. You're going to make mistakes in this world and, and in this life. Uh, you're, not gonna, you're not a perfect individual. Like, like, they talk about a lot in the Bible and in scriptures that uh, man was not designed to be perfect. Man is flawed, Right. And that's where it comes into the place of, uh, you know, heaven and hell and uh, Satan and and God, right? Is is the element that you're tempted in so many different ways to mess up or or sin that you know you're not gonna, you're not not going to sin. It's going to happen. But the 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 biggest biggest thing is that if you want to be forgiven for those sins and you want to move on with your life and actually achieve something bigger than that and move on and move forward, and, and become something bigger, that's the most important part, right? And that's kind of what I'm trying to say with, the uh, you know, is perfection achievable? I don't think perfection is achievable. I think most people would actually agree with that, that you can't be perfect. Most individuals are not designed to be perfect. Uh, you're constantly trying to develop this human being that's inside of you, right? Or this, this uh, you know, I'm very spiritual, so I, it's this spiritual being that's inside of you, right? The body is just more of a, the body is more of just like a, a structure or like almost like a, a physical component, but obviously, if you're Christian or you're, you're you have a lot of faith, and in whatever faith or religion you have, uh, you understand that you know there's probably more of a, a you're more of a spiritual being. That you, once your body decays and you and you pass away and you're six feet under, your soul or your spirit will obviously either go to heaven or hell or go to a higher power, right or higher. Uh, entity kind of, kind of design. So that's, uh, you know, and that, and then you're judged and then most of them are like, you're judged at the end of your life. Like, were you a good individual? Did you good, did you do good things? Did, were you a bad indiv- uh, individual? Did you do bad things? Right. It's most religion. I think every religion is kind of like that where they kind of, there's like a judgment at the end where, you, you know, did, did you, f- did you fulfill the purpose that you were designed to be put on the earth to do? So, that one is uh, is perfection achievable? Um, I'm going to go into the next topic, which is going to be problems come and go, and I'm going to try to give you the example of what I was talking about in the beginning of this uh, this actual episode, where I had a I had an incident where I thought I did the right thing, right? I thought I did, you know, and then she came over and she was like, "Hey, did you get my email? Like, you didn't do this right. Uh, you have you know, you put it out of uh, like a three, you put it out of like three days out of an adherence." And she's like, it got delayed like three days. And I'm like, oh, like, I'm like, but you know, I, I did, I did what I was told to do. Like, this is what I was programmed or like told to do basically. Like I go and I, I I compared it to basically like claims response. And I'm like, when I do claim responses, what we do. And I'm like, I just figured that this customer sent it to the wrong email and probably didn't, couldn't find the proper email and just sent it here, figuring that we would direct it or do whatever. And she's like, no, she's like, the reason you do it this way on that one is because you have a, you have a higher, um, you have a higher like turnover rate where you have to get them out faster. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm like, all right, well, no one told me that. I didn't know that. I'm like, I'll fix it, you know, I'll fix it and I'll do it for next time. But I apologize for that. And she's like, yeah, no problem. And then I said, thank you. Right. But at the time, the, the reason I kind of came up with this topic, by the way, too, is like you know that was a problem at first, right? She came over, sent me an email, came over and and made it a made it a problem, right? And then I'm like I'm like okay, what's the problem? And we figured it out, and then it left instantly, right? First of all, I didn't give it much much attention. I was just like okay, like this is what she wants, like this is what she's gonna get, right? So right off the back, I didn't give it too much attention. Uh, the second the second thing is, uh, you know, instantly right when I admitted that okay, I I did something wrong, like I'm sorry. And like, I basically like stated to her, like, I'm really sorry. Like I didn't know it instantly went away. Right. She's like, yeah, no problem. Just, you know, try not to do it next time. Right. Instantly went away. Cause I admitted I was wrong. I wasn't trying to go, you know, I wasn't trying to go too aggressive on the statement of like, Oh, but I did what I was told. Right. I, tr- I, I did do that in the beginning because like I was trying to explain to her, like, you know, this is why I did it that way. I wanted her to understand why I did it. Um, but then when she, told me like, Hey, this is why you kind of, you're supposed to do it this way for next time. And this is why you did it that way. When you were doing uh, claim responses, I was like, okay, it makes sense. Like it's information I didn't know that makes sense. So the, the point of it is, you know, we all are going to have problems, right? I'll probably have problems right, right after I get off this, uh, this live stream. I'll probably have instant problems, right? Um, now I'm saying that because every single day you're going to have problems. And nothing is ever going to go according to plan. It's one thing I've learned in my whole entire life. No matter how hard you plan something, it tends not to go that way. Uh, sometimes you'll luck out. Maybe sometimes it does work out. Um, but I, like like I have a bunch of examples I can give you on this where, you know, when I went to college, I, was in a planning, I wasn't planning on going to college for four years. I was planning on going to college for two years and getting a two-year degree, right? Um, and it just so happens that it didn't happen that way. Like certain, you know, I had a lot of road, roadblocks. Bu- uh, damn, what's the word I wanted to say? Uh, Not road bumps, but uh, roadblocks, right? Roadblocks that I just, I kind of came across. I'm like, all right, how do I get through this roadblock or how do I get around it? I failed a bunch of classes in college. All of them were basically math. The only one that wasn't math was art appreciation. And that was like the stupidest thing I did to delay myself because that was when I was in the depressed stage that I I tell you guys a lot about where I went through a lot of like mental, uh, mental issues with myself with depression. And I just didn't care. And I, I decided not to go to class anymore, basically, because uh, I, was I wasn't mentally okay to do it. And I just decided to sleep. And it was, it, was a, it was a really weird time to go through. But failed art appreciation. I don't think anyone's really done that before. Uh, I'm sure people have, but it's probably not common to hear that. It was, it was an easy class. I shouldn't have failed it. But anyways, that was, a, that was, a, that was a, uh, a problem, right? But I overcame it and got my two-year degree, right? I overcame that problem. Now the problem's gone. I don't have a problem of 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 not having a two-year degree now, right? Another one I could give you would be the, the most traumatic one was uh, when I had a car accident. Uh, I ended up, uh, long story short, flipping my car, and I got out of the car, and the first thing I thought to myself was, I was like, oh, I was like, oh shit, how the hell am I gonna pay for a new car? I don't have any money. I didn't have I didn't have anything in my savings because I think I put. I think I was paying for college or something. I was paying for something that took a lot of my savings out. And obviously I wasn't planning on getting into a car accident that was going to total my car. So, And I'm like, I don't have money to go put down on a new car. I had issues where the insurance company collected the money and took the money from the dealership and said, hey – you owe you owed us a $500 deductible. So when we gave the claims to the, the dealership, we took $500 out of that. They didn't tell me this, by the way. They took $500 out and paid themselves for my deductible, and then I was short $500 to that that uh, the dealership or Hyundai, right? That my dealership, um, or or the company that gave me the card. And so I get these, I'm getting these letters I'm getting these phone calls from the dealership saying I owe them $500. And I'm like, wait, why do I owe you $500? I have gap insurance. I have this, you know, I have different elements that should, should help that. And they explained it to me. They get, and they said, Hey, we, they, they took $500 when they gave us the claim. And that's why you owe us, owe us 500. So at the time I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't know how many, I don't have $500 to give these people. Like, I don't know what to do. Right. But what happened was I knew that I knew at the time I was reading a sales book about like negotiating and stuff like that. And I was thinking to myself, I'm sure I was thinking like on the average American, uh, what the average American would do. And I'm like, I'm sure the average American would not call this company and work out a deal and negotiate payments with them. I'm sure they would just say, I don't have $500 screw you guys. I'm not paying it. Right. And I'll pay it. So I figured to myself, you know, um, by the way, I, my, my mom ended up giving me like a $500, Um, amount to put down on a a down payment for a car. So uh, that problem wasn't a problem anymore. My mom helped me out with that problem. Uh, You know, I was lucky, right? I was lucky. My mom helped me out, but I had that person to help me out of that problem. But now came the big problem where I'm like, now I owe another $500, right? And I'm like, I don't have this money. What do I do? That's that's a big problem, right? Because the worst thing you want is them to send you to a collective agency and mess up your credit, destroys your credit, destroys your liability. It almost destroys your reputation, your name, right? It's basically what they're doing. They're going, hey, this person owes us money, and when you go to file, which you have to file, you know, and show your credit history, almost anything you do nowadays to prove, because most people have to borrow money. Most people don't have the money up front. They have to borrow money. Um, So, um, and it screws up your interest rates. You end up paying a lot more on, you know, the, the interest rates, which sucks, but anyways, so I'm at, you know, I'm like, how am I going to get this money? And I told myself, you know, if I call this dealership and I go, hey, I don't have $500 right now, but I'm I, I'm dedicated to paying you guys back. I understand it's my fault. It's not your fault. It's not, you know, it's not your problem. It's my problem. It's my, it's my, uh, it's my problem to fix. And, but I don't have $500 to give you right now. What if we do payment plans where I'm giving you money every single month at about $100 a month? So that's five months, I'd be paying you a hundred dollars a month. So which, by the way, this is a, this is a skill that you should learn. The two skills that I combined it on this, by the way, is one, I contacted and confronted the issue. Most people do not confront the issue. They run away from the issue. The second thing that you should get from it is I came up with a solution. I didn't just present the problem back to them. I came up with a solution and presented a solution and they go, okay, that works for us. Why? Cause I presented a solution to them. So they're like, okay, He's presenting the solution to the problem that we have where he owes us money and he's saying he can do this, it's doable, he's making the arrangements to make the payments. Uh, we'd rather take something than nothing, right? We'd rather we'd rather have him pay us hundreds, you know, a hundred dollars every five months of the course of five months, rather than getting nothing in return and, and, and cutting the loss of it. Right? So they ended up doing it. They, they were like, yeah, no problem. They're like, we understand like, you know, it's a, you know, you went, you got into an accident, you weren't planning on going into an accident. And they're like, as long as you're dedicated to paying us the hundred dollars every single month, we'll work with you and, and, and we'll do that. And we'll just make a, we'll, we'll like kind of like add it into like a payment plan or whatever for you. And I'm like, perfect. Ended up paying them back. Right. I ended up funny. I ended up getting some extra cash from something. I forgot what it was. I ended up getting like a, I ended up something happened where someone gave me extra cash for helping them out with something. And I ended up getting a little bit more uh, money back and I just put all that money back and I paid off the debt. I was like, all right, Hey, here's uh, here's $200 extra for this month. I'm going to pay you that next hundred dollars and I'm going to be a month or two, um, you know, a month or two ahead of schedule. So, you know, just charge, you know, charge this up. I'll send you the money and then I only owe you a hundred dollars and then we'll settle the debt. And they're like, okay, cool. Right. So the point of the matter is uh, that issue is not a problem anymore for me. Right. I paid up the debts. I worked it out with the dealership and it's not a problem anymore. I'm not frustrated. I'm not stressed out about it. It's gone. What most people don't realize is that most problems that happen today are probably going to be eventually will be in the past. Right. Eventually you won't have that problem anymore and then you'll move on to the next problem. In life, what you're basically doing is you're going from one problem to the next problem to the next problem to the next problem, and you're trying to solve the problems. Now, obviously, some problems are a little bit more than other problems, right? Like some of them might be more extreme problems, like I'm I'm behind on a payment on my mortgage, or you're behind on a car payment or insurance payment, right? And you have to figure out how to get that extra money on top of paying the same month the next month, right? That would be a little bit more of an extreme thing because- Eventually, you're not going to have had insurance, or you're not going to have a roof over your head, or you're not going to have that car anymore. They're going to repossess it, right? So that's a little bit more of an extreme situation, but there's always a way out of it. There's always a there's always a there's always a solution to every problem. That's 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 the that's what I've learned throughout my whole entire life. There's always a solution, even though in that moment you're frustrated, you don't know how the hell you're going to do it. If you sit down with yourself and come up with solutions, you'll eventually find a solution that'll work, and you'll get out of that problem. Um, Take, you could take, I can give you a great example is someone like, uh, they make fun of Donald Trump a lot. Cause he was, uh, you know, he filed bankruptcy, right? So he filed bankruptcy cause of the whole, uh, the whole casino incident where he tried to make like the biggest casino, the Taj Mahal and he went bankrupt, right? They all made fun of him for it. He basically, he technically really didn't go bankrupt. He kind of broke even, uh, which just means like he basically broke even and he didn't. I don't know if he did. I think he did file bankruptcy, though. I'm not going to lie to you. I think he did file it. Um, So I guess technically he did. If he did file, I don't know if he filed or not. But I just know basically, like, he almost, he basically sold all his assets and basically broke even. And I don't think he was, if he did file bankruptcy, he probably wasn't that far back into it. But uh, anyways, now he's, you know, he got out of bankruptcy and he was, now he's a billionaire and now he's running a country. So if you take that, right, you could take some of the most successful people because they've gone through like massive tragedies to get to where they're at. I was listening to Kevin Hart today. He was doing an interview and he was talking about how, you know, he, how, how he started his uh, comedic uh, journey, how he became a, a comedian. Right. And he was going through how he was like, you know, some people just see me today and he's like, I'm making a lot of money nowadays. And he's like, I'm going for that billion dollars. He's like, I'm not there yet, but he's like, I got, I got, I got some big goals to hit that billion dollar mark. And he's like, um, but what most people don't know is the journey that it took to get to this point. And he was talking about how, uh, he was working as a sales, a salesperson at a shoe place, like a shoe shop. In I think he's from, um, pretty sure he said he's from Philadelphia. He's working at a shoe shop and he said one day the person in the shoe shop said, Hey, you're really, really funny. You make us laugh every single day. And he's like, you really need to go and do stand-up. And he's like, there was, a, um, there was a place where you could do like amateur stand-up comedy nights. And he goes there, he, he does it, and he's like, at first he, he didn't stand for anything. He called, he called himself, his stage name was uh, uh, Little Kevin. I think it was something else. It was like Little something Kevin. Little ba- Bastard Kevin or something, or Little Kevin, right? And he went up and, he, and he's doing all these acts and he said he would eventually got to a point where he started winning the contest, uh, constantly. He made some friends along the way, like some comedians. And he said what happened was, uh, he, he wasn't, he wasn't really like funny. It was just, he had so much energy when he came up on stage that people liked him. Right. He had a lot of energy because he's like some of the acts that he would do weren't even really acts. It was just him being kind of like an idiot. Right. And he said what happened was eventually there's like stages that comedians make in order to make it to like, you know, selling out shows and stuff and he made friends with this one guy which I kind of I, I don't do well with names so I forgot the guy's name but he made friends with this one guy and he's like hey he's like um you know what your problem is and he goes what and he goes I'm gonna ask this guy what your name is and what happens and he goes up to the the guy that was at the show and he was like hey do you know who this person is and he's like oh yeah he was like uh he, and he couldn't the guy couldn't the guy couldn't pronounce his name he didn't know who he was right? And he goes, but he was like, you're really, really good. He's like, I I enjoyed it so much. He's like, you made me laugh so hard. He's like, you were act number four. And he, and so he goes, you know what your problem is now? And he goes, yeah, the guy doesn't know my name. And he goes, yeah, it's because you don't, when he's like, when you come out and you do your skits, you don't say who you are. So even though you're really, really good, no one knows who you are. Like you're not standing out because no one knows your name. And he goes, oh, he goes, oh man. So he said, what happened was, then he started using his name. He started getting bigger, right? That guy solved his problem. He was—he was too small. He's trying to expand, and that guy solved his problem. That was problem, you know. Then he—then he said, "What happened was, he went and started performing for colleges because he said once you get to a certain point, the only place you can go to next is performing for colleges. And there's like a place that's like a holy grail where uh, you go and you do a live skit, and then if they like you, they can basically book you." And he said, he went up there and he's like, I changed my name at that point to Kevin Hart. As he's like, like the, the same friend was telling him like, hey, you, you, don't, you don't stand for anything. You're not telling your story. Uh, you're not saying your name. You're not standing for anything. And that's why people don't remember you because you're not, you're not, a, you're not like impressionable and you're not, uh, you're not sticking to people's uh, minds basically. And he goes, okay. And he changed his name at that point when he started doing college, um, when he was touring around to different colleges and doing stand up comedy. He changed it to Kevin Hart and he said that's and then that's when he changed his whole um, his whole style of comedy and he, and he started doing it based upon who Kevin Hart was. As he said, he had a challenge where the problem for him was he had, a, he had an issue where he didn't think his true identity was funny enough to do it. So he wouldn't do it. He kind of make up stuff. So it wasn't really him. And he said like that's why that, that was the key element that was missing from his skits was it wasn't him and it was almost like he was lying to himself because he didn't feel like he was good enough to do his real bits and real acts and put himself in front of a in front of a large audience and really be himself. So his problem was being small, right? Ended up growing and then it's not i mean if you mention Kevin Hart to anyone, right? You mention Kevin Hart to anybody, a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old, everybody knows the name Kevin Hart. Why? Cause it's not his problem anymore that that problems in the past. He fixed that problem. Eventually he, he started finding himself almost like with the goals and updates What I tell you where I'm like, my, my speech gets better, right? As, the, as more time goes on and I present myself and I, and I structure my, my speaking and everything the way I want it, you know, and I have like flashcards I use to structure, to keep myself in order and to keep myself on topic. Because before I wasn't even really on topic, right? I I'd talk about a topic and I get off course. And that's where this, that's where the flashcard came into place. Cause I'm like, oh, if I have like, you know, information in front of me and I have a structure to go by or a guideline, I won't get off topic. I'll stay focused on that topic. I'll like, once I get off topic, I'll look down at the card and be like, oh, okay. We're talking about problems come and go. Right. Now I'm back on topic. So that's, you know, that was a problem I had. Now it's not a problem anymore. The problem went away. Now, now my problem is scarcity. People don't really know who I am and people don't you know, I gotta get more viewers. So I'm, my problem is I'm too smart and right I gotta expand. How do I expand? I go on SoundCloud, I go on YouTube, I go on different platforms where now people can listen to me in the car, more people can watch uh, watch me face to face on YouTube, which is a bigger platform for video content. I can do smaller segments so now people are complaining about time. Now that problem's gone. Once I put those segments, once I do little segments into playlists, that's, that problem's gone. No one can complain I'm too long anymore, right? No one can complain because I'd be like, hey, like, if you really want to learn about uh, is perfection achievable, go watch my 20-minute 20, 20 segment on this episode, right? They don't have anything to complain anymore. So the point that I'm trying to make to you is problems come and go, right? Problems don't stay the same. You're never going to deal with the same. You might actually come around to the same problem again, and that problem will be actually quicker because now you know how to fix the problem. But uh, what I've learned too is like that's business, right? There's always a problem and who makes money off the, the problem of business or entrepreneur with the solution with his business. And that's why, honestly, like, that's why, that's why the right or Republicans are so fond about business is because business is life without entrepreneurs. You'd have nothing. Entrepreneurs create everything. It's innovation, which no one talks about politically. Right? I mean, I think some Republicans do, but honestly, you never really hear about innovation. You don't hear about entrepreneurs and, and small businesses and big businesses. Um, that's what this microphone was created by an entrepreneur, the, the laptop I'm on right now, my phone, the TV behind me, right? So the, the point that I'm trying to make here is, you know, your problems will come and go. You might have a problem today. You might have a problem right right when you're watching this video. Like I have problems all the time right? You might have a problem trying to get your, your phone to get me on to your, you know, the live stream, right? That's a problem. Are you going to fix the problem? You might go take your laptop out and that's not a problem anymore. Right? So problems come and go. So those are like the two, you know, Kevin Hartwell was probably a good. And I just thought about it off the dome, to be honest with you. But you see, that's, that's where uh, Toastmasters come into play. So <laughs> that's where Toastmasters come into play. Cause that was a, that was a table topic right there. But and I and I watched him today, so it was kind of fresh on the brain. It just happened it's just so happened to match perfectly with what I was saying. But see, that's that's called quick thinking. So problems come and go. Now we're gonna to go into Deal Investments, and I'm gonna wrap it up. So, for anyone that doesn't know, my name is Tyler Dunn. I own a company called Dundeal Investments LLC where the deal is already done. This works with a simple three-step process that I call the three-steps to financial freedom. Before I go into those three steps to financial freedom, I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna talk about what situations this company is designed to really help, and basically what the company's you know what the company does. So, how this company works is we take a seller or what I call it. It mostly works for distressed sellers. Really, who we're really looking for the audience or target audience would be distressed sellers. What I mean by distressed sellers would be anyone that financially cannot sustain their property on their own and definitely need a resource to either. A, keep the property or B, sell the property and move on to something they can afford, right? So, or if you just want to sell your house extremely fast, uh, you could do that too. So how this, who this really works for is people that have job transfers. Uh, Job transfers, very simple, is where maybe you have to move to a different state. There's more opportunities somewhere else and you're trying to move to the opportunity and you don't have time to go through a real estate agent and sell that property and wait, you know, three weeks to a month. You have to do it within that week, right? You have to do it really quick. I can definitely, and my company can definitely help you there. The second thing or second problem would be uh pre-foreclosure. So pre-foreclosure is when um, someone took a mortgage out to buy that property. Most most of the time it's from a bank. Now we're having like different lending, uh, like more, uh, rocket mortgage and stuff. There's different lending companies that will basically finance for you, but most of the time it's from a bank. Most loans are from a bank. Um, and what happens is sometimes you fall behind on payments, and when you get too far behind and can't catch yourself back up, you go into pre foreclosure, which just means the the house is basically gonna repossess by the bank, destroys your credit, uh, destroys your liability you know, like your reputation through credit, and you lose all that money that you sunk into that property trying to buy the property, and the bank gains everything right? The bank gains all that money that you basically paid them for the property on the loan and now they can resell that property, refinance it and make more money on the property. So as you can tell, the bank's probably not going to really care that you're going to, you know. See, there is a problem. So we're back. I'm going to go over done investments, but you see what I was saying? Problems. Um, so my fee just randomly cut off of live stream. So we'll wrap this up uh, and, and get more into done investments really quick. But that was a problem, right? And how do I get through the problem? I'm going to make this a part two episode and then merge the episodes together on SoundCloud. So it's one unit or one episode, right? So, you know, that problem will eventually go. But anyways, uh, so we're on pre-foreclosure. So the, the thing with pre-foreclosure is the, the bank doesn't really care if you lose your property. They're going to end up, uh, want, they're going to want you to basically lose your property, even though it sounds terrible, but they're going to make more money and they're not going to really care. They're, they're not going to give you really the resources to get you out. Um, or they, they really don't have the resources to get you out because they already gave you the money. What else are they going to give you? Like you're behind on more money, right? You're on you're behind on too much debt, so they're not going to give you more money. Now the other thing would be uh, foreclosures, which are, which would you know tie into that. But in that case, if you know anyone that's a banker that owns a small bank, uh, most of the big banks probably are going to try to sell it. But if it's a small bank, they're going to lose money on the property. And they're going to try to sell that asset as quick as they possibly can, so they don't lose more money on it. Because they're they're smaller bank, don't have as much money to put into that resource, and it's just killing them um, over time. If they're losing money on the on the property, so if you know anyone that's like a small bank owner, definitely have them reach out. That has a lot of foreclosures. I could definitely buy the properties with an investor and just help help that bank out and and pay them for the for the losses, basically. You know, help them make a little bit of a profit off of it. And, uh, and move forward and then get someone else that actually wants to buy the property into that property, right? So that's the beauty of it. Now, the other thing uh, is like if you inherited a property, through like a will, most of the time it's an elderly family member that passed away and you ended up becoming uh, someone that was in their will and they passed the property down. And most of the time, if it's an elderly person, they don't really take care of the property or, or maintenance on it. That would be, and then it's hard for you to sell it and get full market value. So that would be something where you would want to uh, have an investor just buy it and then put any capital they 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 need to into that property and just give you a cash offer. That's something done investments would actually help you out with. Um, if you're just someone that's going through a very, very messy divorce and you just want to, you know, it, it's because divorces, by the way, are, are very messy. Uh, it's something where it's like, I, I think it's still like a 49% uh, rate with like divorce. And sometimes you just want to sell that property and then split the profits down the middle. That's something that Dundee Investments could definitely work with you and help you do. It's just you know sell it to a quick investor and then you just split the profits down the middle and then you just cut the ties, or whatever you know however you want to handle that part. But uh, that's a that's another way that Dundee Investments can help out with just selling the property fast. The other thing too would be, if um, if you just have a lot of you know maybe you didn't do like maybe you've had a you had bad experiences with a realtor, right? Uh, my mom tried to, you know, do certain things with certain realtors, I think like two of them, and they didn't, they ended up not, they put a lot of traffic through, but they didn't end up getting the deal done. And so she wasted a lot of time with that. She, you know, it was very frustrating for her because she wanted, she was expecting to get a sale. And the real, the real estate agents really didn't do a good a job trying to sell her on another property or uh, they didn't help her sell her property. So... Plus the fact they charge high commission fees, right? Most uh, real estate agents charge like heavy, heavy commission fees. So they'll sell it and you'll be, all right, I'm going to get all this money back. And they take a large percentage of it uh, trying to, you know, trying to collect what they they feel like they're owed or entitled into. So that's a big problem too. Or, you know, sometimes you just don't want to wait three weeks or a month to sell the property. You kind of want to just do it fast, get it over with. It is a pain in the butt kind of a process where you're trying to sell it through a real estate agent. So if you have bad experiences with them, a uh, quick and easy sell would be going through Dundee Investments LLC and and we'll get that, you know, quick, easy, painless and that's that's what Dundee Investments is, is designed to do. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, if you just have a lot of property maintenance and you're like I'm not going to get a lot of money for this property and I know a real estate agent isn't probably going to partner up with me, that's something that uh Dundee Investments would also take care of. It, we sell it as is. It's not like you have to clean the house up, you have to move furniture, Uh, Even if you just said, Hey, I don't even want to keep any of this furniture. We'll leave all this furniture in the property. Done deal investments will actually take care of that. We'll, we'll, we'll hire someone to move stuff. We'll, we'll do basically all the legwork of the deal. And that's why it's called where the deal is already done. That's the slogan of done deal investments is because we basically do everything for you. Um, It comes to a point where like we just do everything. We find the deal. We create the deal. We get you the the cash offer. We negotiate. Uh, we, We do everything basically for you. That's, that's the whole point of done deal investments. So those are the things. Now, we're going to go into the three steps. So this is how it works. So it's called the three steps to financial freedom. The first step is you have to contact Dundee Investments. Uh, You know, it doesn't matter um, whether we can help you or not. If I don't know that you need help, there's no way I can possibly help you because I don't know that you need help. So you have to contact Dundee Investments, whether it's email, whether it's going on our website, filling out a form and we contact you directly, whether it's, you know, uh, calling us through that phone number, texting us going through the social medias directly and just direct messaging us through Facebook, Instagram or Twitter or YouTube. I don't know if we have a YouTube page yet. I don't think we do, but um, I'm working on getting a YouTube page. So even if you wanted to go on that and, and send us a message on a video comment, even if you want to comment on this, we'll get back to you. And, the other thing would be is then we're just going to ask you some very very basic questions. So we'll ask you some basic questions on the conditions of your property so we have an understanding of what needs to be fixed for the investor. At the same time, we'll just ask you some basic questions on what type of problem that you're trying to solve. So like, you know, I listed through all this stuff if it's uh, you know, you don't want to deal with a real estate agent, you don't want to deal, you have too much maintenance on the property. Those are all problems that I would have to understand what you need solved in order to help you obviously get through Uh, the next couple of stages or the next couple of steps. So that's, it's very simple. It's just, you know, answering some very, very basic questions on the condition of the property that you're trying to get, you know, help on and what the problem is that you're trying to solve, like what problem you're trying to get out of. It's very easy. Now we're on step two. So step two is now we set up an appointment for me to come to your property and do a walkthrough. I'll answer any questions you have, which you can ask, you know, ask me in person at that point and just be like, Hey, like I have a question on this. I have a question on that. At the same time, what I'm doing is I'm doing a walkthrough where I'm going to come with an, a sheet and it's going to be like, all right, we have broken windows, we have roof damage that we have to fix, we have mold, we have a leak, you know, anything that's a cost to the investor, I have to jot down to get an estimate form. And at the same time, we're going to do five pictures inside and five pictures outside. Now, the reason I'm taking the pictures, we're getting the estimates on the cost, what we have to do to put it in mint condition is when I go to find you an investor, I don't want all this foot traffic in your property. I want to be able to just basically send all this information to multiple, um, investors on my, on my, uh, in my list because I already have preset investors that I can contact and be like, Hey, I have this property. Here's the, here's the numbers. Here's what we agreed upon. Here's the photos from it. So you can look at it and find you a, that's how I find investors fast. I'm, I'm using technology to speed up the process. Right? So, I need all that information in order to get you an investor fast and be able to create the deal and and basically process it faster. So um, that's why we have to schedule an appointment. And then once that's done, now we're on step three. So this is the final and easy last step. Now, what I'm going to end up doing is running comps on your neighborhood. So this is very easy. What we're going to end up doing is um, trying to find your your property's average price range where we basically go and we run comps on three houses within that neighborhood that have sold in the market in the last three, five months, roughly. Right. I, I, you know, as soon as possible that it's sold on the, on the market. Now from there, we get that average price and then we just deduct what the investor would have to put into um, to basically invest into that property and then sell it for a profit. So that's, once we get that, that's the price we're negotiating on is after you know we get the average price, we deduct the, what the investor would have to take into uh, consideration for um, an investment cost. And then that's what we're negotiating on is that price in the bottom. So so once we get to that point where we negotiate on the price and the terms, we then, um, so if you stay in the house for another three weeks or whatever the case is, you have to let me know so that way I can tell the investor so we can work together on getting that done for you. The most important element to this deal is that you're satisfied that we're working with you? That's the most important part, at least for Dundee Investments. Is I want to make sure that everything runs smooth, the deal goes good, and that uh, we're we're helping you because that's why I created Dundee Investments is to help that distressed seller or that person get out of the financial situation now and give that homeowner another resource, right? So that's step three. Once we sign, so now we're technically selling step three. So. Once the terms and, and prices is, is agreed upon and negotiated on, the seller signs the, the contract. Dundell Investments, myself, will sign the contract. The investor will sign the contract. And now what happens is the seller will get the cash offer that was negotiated on and agreed upon. They'll be able to go and get another property that they want or whatever they want to do with the with the money, right? And uh, Dundell Investments will obviously keep on helping that person if they still need resources. So if you need real estate agents you need home inspectors you need uh you know x y and z my job is to make sure that we give you those resources and we provide that to you now the investor is obviously going to make a profit on the deal he's going to invest his capital into that property he's going to flip it he's going to make a um he's going to make money on the deal and put it on the market for full market value and make a profit so he can keep on doing that and keep on moving his business forward now Done deal Investments is obviously gonna make a profit on the deal for putting the deal together, putting all the legwork together, and, and making the moving parts work as smooth as possible. And uh, what it's called is a finder's fee or a commissions fee. Um, and the cool part about this is the investor will pay done deal Investments the finder's fee or the commission fee. The seller will not, which is the coolest part. So you don't have to worry about paying Dundale Investments. The investor will, will, you know, pay us for that that deal that we put together for him. Now. Um, so that now basically, like what I wanted to talk about was the, the ultimate goal or the massive goal that I want for done investments. Now, what I was thinking about with done investments is the home, the home buying process. Uh, most people that go and buy a home, and if you're someone that hasn't bought a home yet, it, it might be a little bit um, weird hearing this, but most people that have bought a home, they know the process is very slow, lengthy. It's almost like buying a car, but way more extreme than buying a car. Now, the reason I tell you that is because even though buying a car is a long process, buying a home is even a longer process. There's so many different companies you have to try to work with. There are different resources and elements to it. Uh, you have to go and get a real estate agent. You then have to go get a home inspector to inspect that home. You then have to go get financing and probably go to a bank to go do that or some type of financial um, agency. Or uh, you got to find financing some way, somehow, right? And then, obviously, there's like maybe a couple more other elements, but the, the point that I wanted to do at Dundeal Investments was focus on the seller and be able to take them from getting out of the distress situation to then getting you know providing them a real estate uh, team to then giving them a home in- inspection team to then getting financing and so on and so on. at the same time increasing uh, more resources for that investor. So I want to help investors and sellers. But the thing with the selling and for the investors is the whole buying process, right? So my end goal or my big massive mission for this company is to create a less uh, like a a faster buying process, right? Where everything is under one roof. So you just go from the one department to the next department to the next department to the next department. Now you see this with uh, car dealerships where you go in there, the salesman sells you on the car. They go, okay, this, you know, this is an Elantra 2019 Um, it's, and it's a limited, it's got this, 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 and this in the car and you go, okay, that's the car I want. Now, what he's going to do is he's not going to do the paperwork. He's not going to do anything. He's going to go, okay, let me go talk to our financial department and you're going to work with them on the contracting and signing contracts and the agreements. And you're going to work out with them on how you're going to pay us for this car. Right? So there's different departments within that, that dealership. And that's what I want to do with Dundee investments is make it so there's different moving parts into it and different departments and resources for a homeowner, especially a homeowner or a property buyer, because the, the, the selling process is very lengthy. It's slow. Uh, You got to go to different companies to get different things. Same thing with an investor. It also would help the investor because then we could just give resources to investors, basically the same stuff. Because if you have an investor that's investing in homes and properties, they're going to probably need the same stuff. They're going to probably, they might need financing. They might, you might, they might go, Hey, we could save some money by going to the financial department of dundee investments and getting some financial help from them and save some money on this deal and in the long run make more money and that's the whole the whole concept of it is to help sellers and also help investors but to cut that buying process that time of trying to find a house buying the house inspecting it all that stuff cut that time in half and create a better market for home buying and that's the mission of dundee investments uh, LLC. That's the big, big, big picture of Dundee Investments. It's eventually what I want to get it to. Right now, we're focusing on um, you know helping sellers and matching sellers with investors on deals. That's the main thing we're doing right now. The next element I do want to try to create is inspections or uh, home inspections, property inspections, and that's something that's going to take. That's the next move for Dundee Investments is eventually get licensing, get insurance, be able to do some inspections. Um, and move that business fo- and move this business forward, and um, that's that's kind of what I'm trying to do right now. But obviously, it's a lot of moving parts for home inspections. So I got to figure out the licensing we would need. I got to figure out insurance in case I you know I end up doing an inspection, fall off the roof, or my employees. I hire employees and they fall off the roof, or they, you know they do something that they get hurt on the job, and um, you know they can't they can't sue uh, you know, either my company or, or the homeowner, you know, right. Cause we're insurance and, li- and have liability insurance and stuff. I also have to know what I'm doing, right? So I got to go and get training. I got to pay for that. Obviously like someone's not going to train me for free. So I got to do different elements where I'm trained, I'm qualified. I got the right stuff. So it's going to be a process. I'll definitely update you guys when all that stuff goes on. it will be some of my updates, like my personal updates. When I, when I come on here and, and do the updates in the beginning, but um, and I'll walk you through the process. But uh, for right now, you know, it's a it's it is on hold a little bit. I'm trying to push some other stuff out. I'm trying to I got some other stuff on my list that I'm trying to push out real quick before I get in and commit to that 100%. But um, that's kind of what's going on with Dundee Investments. Like right now, we can help distressed sellers match them with investors or anyone that just wants to sell their property extremely fast for a quick cash offer with an investor. That's what we can do right now. I want to get it to where we can help investor um, you know, do home inspections and then get real estate uh, agent team. Then we go and we get financing and we do just different things that are, it's almost like a one-stop shop. And that's, that's what's going to create the buying process for homeowners and cut that time in half. Right. That's my, that's my ultimate mission for done deal investments. That's my goal. It's the massive, uh, It really is a mission, right? It's a mission um, statement almost, but that's the next thing I'll work on for this business too, is a mission statement. But um, that's like the big goal for done deal investments, LLC. Now, uh, that's I think that's basically everything I covered. This has been uh, episode 93 of Goals and Updates. Uh, my name's Tyler Dunn with Dundeal Investments, where the deal is already done. Hope you have a good uh, Tuesday. I'll see you Wednesday at 7. I might, ch- I might change the time to 7.30. I'll let you know. Uh, but I'll see you Wednesday, 7 p.m. sharp. And we'll be on episode 94 of Goals and Updates. Peace.